Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of The Curb. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast takes a look at Australian film, Australian culture and a whole bunch more. This podcast is proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and I pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, I catch up with filmmaker Yarabu Milhem, whose new documentary, Unseen Skies, is debuting at the Sydney Film Festival. This is a really fantastic and very interesting documentary about American artist Trevor Paglin. He is an author, an artist, an activist, and a musician. And what he does is he monitors and makes art out of black ops sites that are used for government surveillance and data collection, including Piner Gap in Australia. And what he does is he follows and, and tracks the satellites in the Earth's orbit, and he creates artwork associated with it. This is a film that kind of defies a brief explanation, and that's why I really highly recommend you seek it out and go and see it for yourself. Visually, it is powerful and impressive. Trevor's work is really fascinating in the way that Yara manages to reflect his artwork in this particular documentary is really, really powerful too. I mentioned during the interview there there is a particular moment where this camera and this boat is traveling through a gorge and the computer is effectively trying to landscape and, and capture the landscape around it. And these Fractural in images just appear. Uh, you, If you are looking at the website, thecurb.com.au, this is the image that I've used as the banner image for this particular interview. It has stuck with me in a way that precious few images have. It's made me reflect on how both we humans see the world and how AI and computers see the world. That's what a great film can do. It can change your mind. It can change how we look at things. And Unseen Skies really leans into the activist part of things about how much data is out there and how much is used against us and how much is collected in our day-to-day lives. Yara is an award-winning journalist. Uh, She has won UN Media Peace Awards, uh, two NY Film and TV Awards, uh, Hong Kong Human Rights Press Award, and five Walkley Awards. Now, me being silly, 
did not ask her about any of those things. And I really wish I did because my focus was talking about Unseen Skies. I literally have just watched this film this morning and it's brought up so many questions that I wish that um, I kind of want to press Yara about this again in the future and ask her about her work again in the future. And hopefully you get that impression as uh, we you know, listen to this interview over again. Um, I really get the impression that I'm really excited about what Yara does as a filmmaker going forward. She's a journalist, first of all, and now a filmmaker. And the distinction between the two, we discussed that a little bit further on, but there aren't too many filmmakers who come from a journalistic background. Uh, you know, John Pilger is certainly one. And I mentioned that there are film critics out there who have made the transition to be filmmakers. That's, you know, fairly common. But journalists making the transition to be documentarians and filmmakers, it's a bit of a rarity. And what Yara has done here is something that excites me And going forward. Seeing this kind of critical interrogation of both the government states and the corporate states around the world is what really excites me about her filmmaking as a whole. Uh, yeah, look, Unseen Skies, I highly recommend seeking out. If you can, see it in person. Go and see it in the cinema. This is a film that demands a big screen, demands to be absorbed by it all. The music, the sound is really impressive. Uh, the score itself is really fantastic, and we touch on that later on. But there is so much to enjoy about this film. I'm rambling here because I like this a lot, and because of that, I want you to go and see it. <laughs> so please do. Uh, again, Sydney Film Festival is where it's screening, SFF. .org.au. I will stick a link in the show notes. All right, enough of me. Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and be back with the interview. So tonight I want to photograph geostationary satellites. So those are satellites that are really far away from Earth, about 36,000 kilometers away. And those are satellites that kind of hover over one spot over the equator. That's an orbit that's used for communication satellites, but it's also, whoa, there's a huge shooting star. Um, it's also an orbit that's used for surveillance satellites. And so there's a, a kind of belt of military communication satellites and, and what are essentially eavesdropping satellites that form a ring around the Earth. Let's jump into your film. And I want to kind of go into how you came about Trevor's life and Trevor's artwork in itself, because that in itself is, you know, his, his work is really something altogether. Um, but how did you stumble upon Trevor? I actually um, have been familiar with Trevor's works for oh, perhaps 10 years or so now. Um, I first came across his work when I was actually at SBS at Dateline um, and I had read that he was um, going out to remote um, remote parts of the Nevada desert trying to photograph black sites or military bases that don't exist on the map because authorities don't want you to know that they're there. Um, and so, you know, he's, I loved his thinking on it. He's like, okay, well, what is it that they don't want to see and how can I let people see what's there? Like how do I visualise this? thing that's not on the map um and then you know you go again and there's another layer of meaning where um he 
uh, came of age as an artist at the time that 9-11 happened. And at that time, um, there was um, something that the geographer Derek Gregory called um, the everywhere war taking place. And Trevor Pagram himself is also a geographer. So, um, you know, he looks at the landscape and infrastructures very differently as a geographer and as an artist. Um, And he wanted to understand what does the everywhere war look like? And for him, that looked like all of these military bases that weren't on the map, these sort of Cold War era relics that have been now appropriated for the war on terror. Um, It also looked like, um, you know, secret bases in Afghanistan, which he went and photographed. He also... Um, wanted to look at secret spy satellites that were being launched and that weren't officially being recorded as being uh, spy satellites. And so he would go out um, to remote parts of, again, the Nevada or California desert where there's little light pollution and with the help of amateur astronomers, amateur astronomers, he would uh, figure out which satellites that were passing through his frame at that particular moment was likely to be this particular spy satellite that, that these people have been tracking. Um, and he made these incredible artworks out of these things that, you know, we weren't, we're not supposed to see. Uh, and he was trying to show us another way of seeing these infrastructures that are all around us and that play a role in our lives. Um, and yet, perhaps we're not that aware of exactly how it all works or what it's like. Yeah, it's, I tell you what, I was a bit um, overwhelmed at times by the enormity of it all. <laughs> and then I kept on thinking about you sitting on the other side of the camera and I'm like, what it, What must it be like to experience that in person, to see him capturing all of these images and, you know, knowing what he's capturing as well? He's got such a, so Trevor has such a long history and such an enormous process, an enormous research process behind a lot of his works. Um, And so a lot of the time I spent trying to research the very same things so that we could have meaningful conversations when we're out there Um, and when I'm out there filming with him as he conducts his work. And I think the really profound moments for me um, was when I saw the evolution of his work from just being about state surveillance to also being about corporate surveillance um, and the use of AI um, and computer vision software by big tech companies. And Trevor actually said, has this great line in the film where he says, you know, there was this time when I was looking at the NSA And I realised there was this way bigger thing out there called Facebook and Google, Um, and they have much more data on us than any of these state um, surveillance companies or state surveillance apparatus would ever have. Uh, I mean, some of these companies can have such granular data on us that they'd know how we think, how we feel, our emotional state. 
um, they're in our private homes, you know, and we let them in. Like there's all these apps on our phones and um, they know our social networks, you know, from very close people to um, people we met on a bus. And so it's just, it was, it was really, that was a penny drop moment um, for me during the, during the filming process. And I knew that, um, I knew very early on that, you know, that evolution from, you know, state to corporate surveillance, as opposed to surveillance capitalism, because, you know, all those big tech companies are really operating for profit. Um, that, that became a major feature of the film. Um, and I'm not sure if you're going to ask about this, but the collaboration with the Kronos Quartet Mm. Yes, <laughs> it's literally the one of the. It's the second question that I've got written down. So yeah, <laughs> but lead into talking about that if you could, please. So for me, that sort of collaboration and the meaning behind it is the essence of the film. Um, there's um, just to give you a sense of just to set the scene of of what that collaboration is. There's. Um, the Kronos Quartet, which is a famous San Francisco quartet, um, performing um, some music, tra- music tracks. And at the same time, there's a screen above them where some computer vision software, AI, for want of a better word, is analysing these musicians as they play. And, you know, some of the analyses are really quite off the mark and... You know, sometimes it's a little bit funny and other times it's just weird and strange. And then um, the penny, I suppose, again, dropped for me or the heart of what that collaboration was about is looking at how, um, well, the heart of that collaboration comes down to the very last track, I think, in that performance very last piece of music that's performed and it's um a piece by steve reich called different trains and they play the first movement which is about you know the optimism about around trains and how this new technology has come in and it's going to make life better and it's going to make life more efficient and it's going to connect people um you know across you know vast distances and, um, you know, what are the synergies between that and the optimism around technology and how it's going to connect the world and how it's going to make our lives better. Um, but they don't play the second movement of that piece, which is um, talking about the Holocaust and how trains were used in perhaps the biggest crime of the 20th, 20th century. And so Trevor makes the point, okay, so what are the synergies between that optimism that we had about this new technology of the trains um, to the optimism that we now have with AI and that new technology? Yeah, it is It is a really scary optimism as well. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up and you're thinking, you know, I'm going to have robots that are going to be able to do everything for me, clean the house and all this kind of stuff. And it seems fantastic. And then you don't consider all of these things and, It's funny, like the other night, my partner and I were sitting there on Facebook as we do, and she was getting targeted advertising for things that I was looking for to purchase for her for Christmas. And so she's already aware of what I'm looking for to buy her for Christmas. And it's just, it's overwhelming until we're actually in the moment of knowing that 
we are being tracked in such a granular way, in such a minute way to the point where your partner or your friends are being told, hey, this guy's going to buy you something for Christmas. It's just, obviously that's not a part of the film, but it, it, it immediately sprung to mind of being like, oh, this is too big to handle. It's too big to grapple. <laughs> um, but what Trevor does manages to make it small and relatable in a lot of ways. And, and that I think is really helpful uh, for, for audiences and for myself in particular, who um, sometimes you wake up and you just feel it's a bit too much. <laughs> How do you deal with that yourself? Because I know that you've been a journalist for a while and, and been tackling some pretty serious things and big issues or big topics in society. So how do you, how do you find the small in the big? Um, I think it's really interesting that you say that it's small because for me, it didn't, it didn't feel small, um, but we tried, we tried as much as possible um, to add to what's already out there with other films um, on this issue. And I think a lot of them go into, you know, a more didactic kind of unravelling of, of how all of this works um, and, you know, perhaps even are more in the activist-led space. Whereas with this, I wanted it to be more of a, a visual exploration of the issue because, uh, for me, I can talk about this issue to I'm blue on the face, but I, need, I think I, I needed to be able to see what some of these technologies look like, what's sort of inside the black box, as it were. You know, how does that operate? Um, you know, what does that look like? Because I think knowing something or, or is different to realising it or to seeing it, and I think that's the the real um the real beauty in Trevor's work um he does give you another way of seeing the world um he gives you another perspective through his artworks um and you know it has all the same meanings that we've been discussing and that um other people discuss when we're talking about these issues but it's just another view another perspective that we might not otherwise get how much does that inform you as a filmmaker as opposed to how much it informs you as a journalist? Is there a difference between being a journalist and a documentarian? Do you see a, a polar difference in the two? I don't think there's a polar difference between the two. I think there's a lot of correlations and crossovers. But um, at the same time, I think that I couldn't have done something like this as a journalist. Um, there there was, I suppose, creative license, that, that a creative license that I had in making this film. First of all, I'm working with an artist. Um, and so that raises the bar of how, you know, the visual language that we use and um, also the latitude that we have in terms of how we present this. Um, we can take a more artistic approach. Um, and also I think it allowed me or allowed us to be a lot more poetic in how we approached um, this issue and, and it allowed us to be a lot more poetic in how we told Trevor's story and how um, you know, he went about creating his artworks and following his process. Um, 
in a way which I think would have been really difficult in journalism um, because there's, I suppose, a lot more of a fact-driven purity in, in journalism, um, which doesn't really allow you to deviate too much from um, the way you present that. And there's a, there's a way of doing journalism. Um, there's certain structures um, and it can be inhibiting. But, um, you know, I think for a story like this, I could, I could not, like I, I tried, I wanted to do this um, for, as a journalism project a long time ago, um, but it wasn't going to work. Um, and so really it was, it was only when I could see this as a film um, where we followed this huge monumental task um, project that Trevor Paglin was embarking on with the launch of a satellite artwork into lower Earth orbit on a SpaceX rocket um, and were able to kind of tease out that narrative and um, tease out the narrative of his other works through the film. Um, it was really only then that I could see this as a film. Yeah. What drew you to journalism in, in the first place? Oh. <laughs> sorry, it's a, it's a very deep and, and introspective question. I know I'm sorry for that, but I just... I guess for me, like I always love journalism because of the truth that it tells. And I'm, there is so much truth in this film as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious for you. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, not at all. It's just that there's so many answers to that question. <laughs> so many things that drew me to journalism. Um, I have a very strong interest in social justice and public interest issues. Um, I'm very civic minded. I also ha- grew up around journalism. My dad was a journalist um, and it wasn't, journalism for me was always something that was about the public interest um, and about bringing stories that perhaps aren't popular into the mainstream. Um, and I say that because my parents had to leave the Middle East during Lebanon's civil war because journalists were being assassinated um, for telling the truth. And they obviously couldn't see a future there doing what they do. And, um, but they continued to you know, practice their work here in Australia. And I grew up around that. I grew up around politics. I grew up around, you know, the internal machinations of, um, Middle Eastern politics, and I grew up around, you know, asking questions and holding power to account. You know, I was always encouraged to ask questions um, and be curious, and I think that really has just, you know, made it inevitable that I was going to be in storytelling in one form or another. And, you know, journalism was the obvious choice for me at the time because that's what I knew, that's what I was around, um, and, you know, and that has evolved now into also documentary filmmaking. Yeah, I was, I was trying to look at how many documentarians had originally started from journalism. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of film critics who have turned to filmmaking, but precious few journalists who have turned to documentary filmmaking. There's John Pildra, of course, who is a, a pinnacle of 
of the art of documentary and filmmaking in Australia in particular. Um, but I couldn't really come up with too many names outside of that. So you, the, the, the journey from journalism to filmmaking is, it feels like a rarity. Was there, you know, a risk involved in, in taking that, that choice or was there a comfort in knowing that because of your journalism heritage that you'll be able to tell a story as, as powerful as you could here? Um, I think that there is this resistance between the two communities, which I've never really understood, because bringing the same sorts of skill sets, um, especially if you work in TV broadcast journalism, which has been my background. Um, and I think I think there is... Um, say, you know, from the journalism community, it's like, well, documentarians are usually biased towards their subjects or towards the piece that they're doing, whereas journalists, you know, we're not supposed to be, even though everyone has their own subjectivities and biases that they bring to the work that they do. I mean, that, but that's another story, another, another issue altogether that we can unpack in a whole other podcast session. Um, and I think with documentarians, there is this sort of sense that journalists don't know, don't know how to craft a story. Um, I, I don't agree with either of those um, summations. I think that um, it really is up to individuals in terms of how of their creative process and what skill set they bring. Um, so I've, I've never really understood that, that sort of rift. And I, I'm not sure if how big it is either, and I don't know if we're overstating it. I don't know how big it is either because it's not something I've encountered all that often. And then watching this, I'm like, there is there is a, a questioning of, of power. There is a questioning of what's going on here. So there is that journalist's uh, strength there. But then again, if I didn't know that about you as a filmmaker, I would have still gotten that knowing what I've got from the film itself, if that makes sense. Like it, it's in there. The questioning is still within there. I don't need to have known that you're have a journalist background to, you know, to have made this, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because I suppose one of the things that did draw me to Trevor is his questioning of power or our assumptions of how the world should work. Um, and how he tries through some of his work to show us, okay, what about if the world wasn't like this? What about if it was like this instead? Um, and I think that questioning of the status quo, that challenging of power was something that, you know, really drew me to Trevor and has drawn me to other um, protagonists in my films in the past too. Yeah. What changed about you as you were making this film? Obviously, you go into it with an idea of how this story might play out, and then at the end, it's you know it might be something different, or you've learned something. Did you find that you changed as a person? Um, changing as a person, I mean, I suppose changing as a, an artist or a storyteller would probably be the more accurate. Um, accurate thing for me for, for me it made me realize that this whole process um made me realize that you can you can take certain risks in the way that you tell stories 
um, and that you don't have to be didactic in the way that you tell it um, and and I really enjoyed it as a filmmaker <laughs> I did I, I enjoyed that creative process I enjoyed the collaborative aspects of it um, you know it really does take a village to, to make a film and there were some fantastic people who worked on the film with me um, you know we had a fantastic producer in Ivan Omani from InFilms. We had participant in the US, which, you know, a fantastic team out there. Um, and uh, a cinematographer, Tom Bannigan, who was with me from the very beginning and really, you know, it was he and I who set the visual tone for the piece from the very beginning. And having that continuity, I think, was really important. Um, the film as a visual medium but also as a as a piece that's about an artist um you know I had a fantastic editor Francisco Forbes who's got a philosophy film background and you know we had lots of debates during the edit because of it um which I loved um and I think you know that sort of process was I think I need sort of that sort of challenge during <laughs> someone to challenge, you know, you know, why are we doing it this way? Um, why don't we do it this way? Or, you know, really nutting out, you know, what layers of meaning are we imbuing in this scene and how should we do it? Um, and we had a fantastic uh, composer with Helena Chaika um, who took this idea I had of, hey, let's use NASA samples to another, another level. Um, she scored... There's, there's whole music scores that are composed completely of NASA samples, um, you know, sounds from space, like sounds from the International Space Station and Jupiter's moons. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't even think of. Um, and she managed to make this incredible score that really spoke to the themes of the film. Um, and so it was, it was a fantastic process and there was a great team behind it. Yeah, I absolutely love that score. I think it is really beautiful. And I think one of the things which I, I tend to do when I watch a film that has got a great score is I immediately go on to Spotify or, you know, YouTube music and see if I can listen to the score. Because I do a lot, obviously I do a lot of writing, so I need to have nice music in the background. I'm like, I want to have this while I'm doing writing. So hopefully it becomes available somewhere because I, I thought it was really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about releasing it on Spotify. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because <laughs> I think it was just, yeah, it was it was really beautiful. And everything that you're saying about the sounds of the, the space station and things like that is just finding art in the world in different ways really surprises me because I, I have a very literal mind in so many different ways and I forget that we can use the sounds of machinery. We can use the sounds of space. We can use surveillance as art and this film reminded me of that and especially you know the 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 I, sorry i've forgotten the the production company in the us but the their line is art and activism and mm. i that yeah. is such a powerful way of describing what unseen skies is art and activism i don't think there's really a question there it's just kind of i love this manner that it provokes my mind and says Think about this a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I think I think 
the sorts of films that really draw me are at the intersection of art and the public interest or art and social justice. And so, um, you know, this was, this was such a joy to work on because of that, because the themes are just so important, but at the same time we're able to present them in a way um, that hopefully is relatable um, and also uh, beautiful so that the themes don't overwhelm you. Mm. I think it is really beautiful. And some of those artworks, there is a shot where they're going through the, the gorges and like the, the art yeah. basically, yeah. yeah and the, the topography and it's trying to make sense of the topography. I was just like, these things I've never seen before, <laughs> you know, I've never considered the world like this. And I, I, I like that. I, I yes. like being, having my life, you know, pushed back against me in some ways. And that's what we were trying to do with the use of these algorithms. It's um, showing you, or showing you an image um, and you look at it and you have your own interpretation of it Um and then showing you what, what a machine is doing when they're looking at it and trying to interpret it. Um, and then hopefully that is a reminder that this is happening all the time. Um, our images are being analysed by machines, um, you know, for whatever the commercial application is, um, all the time. And I think getting a sense of what that looks like, getting inside the black box, as it were, is important and they're just trying to give you give you a taste of that Um, because at the end of the day if we're not critiquing these systems and we're not pushing for regulations to protect us from how our data is being used then it'll just continue our data will continue to be collected and what Francis Haugen said in the um, the Facebook whistleblower to US Congress said about you know, Facebook putting humans over profit, that'll continue. And so I think we need to start understanding and get a grasp of what is going on. And hopefully this film helps in some way to that end. Is that where you see your filmmaking journey continuing, interrogating this kind of narrative? In terms of interrogating the narrative around um, AI, and AI and computers and the black box inside the black box. Um, so I think there's a lot of correlations between the sort of work I do in terms of interrogating power um, and interrogating what the status quo is and what our assumptions are of that and so I think that's where my work will continue to head so um one of my previous films was with Maria Ressa who um won the Nobel Peace Prize Filipino journalist um and she does a lot of work on disinformation against disinformation she calls Facebook her frenemy you know she's um doing um you know quite significant work globally in that space and again, that's a woman who's interrogating um, power, you know, a woman from the global south, no less, interrogating how power, like the power that is wielded from Silicon Valley. Um, and so I think that's going to continue be, being the focus of my work. 
um, you know, questioning power and, and our assumptions of how the world works. I really look forward to seeing where you evolve as a filmmaker and what what you bring up, because if this is anything to go by, it's, uh, you know, I, again, I, I, it's not all about me, but I'm the viewer and I like to... I like to step out of a film or I like to finish a film having felt a little bit like I've been pushed back in some ways. And that's what I got from this film. And I, I you know, I, I wish I had watched it a little bit sooner, like last week, so I could rewatch it again and have more ideas in my mind so I could come to this interview and go, but what about this? Like I've spent a whole week thinking about this because I know over the next week I'm going to be going but what about this? <laughs> you know, like this is, that's the sort of film that it is. And I'm excited to see where you grow as a filmmaker with these kinds of stories, because that's, I think that we need that in Australian film. We need more of that kind of uh, pushing back and that more investigation. We do a lot of great documentaries and a lot of films and I love all of that kind of stuff, but this kind of stuff is a little bit lacking. And so it's, it was really exciting to be able to sit down and watch this and go, Ooh, where is she going to go from here? <laughs> oh, thank you. That's that's really kind of you, um, and I really love the endorsement for the film. And I think, I mean, for me, the film is like the most important part of this whole process. And you know, we're I think the whole team is really proud of um, what we've put together. So I'm I'm really glad you appreciate it. Yeah, as you should be, and. I really hope, as you were talking about having this in cinemas and having people experience it and embrace it in cinemas is something that I hope that occurs, you know, around Australia next year, um, you know, because these kinds of films, forcing people to sit down and put their phones aside and pay attention to it in a cinema is like nothing else. And so that's what I'm hoping for you next year. It, it means a lot. And, uh, you know, streaming is nice and all that. It's accessible, but... There's nothing like a cinema. No, and I think um, you wouldn't really get a sense of the scale of the cinematography and the visual landscape shots that we've got, as well as um, the music score, which really sounds like enough, like something else in a theatre. In saying that, you know, I think streaming is the most accessible way to to watch films these days is just an unfortunate reality it's a reality rather not an unfortunate one it is it is the way the world is going um but there is nothing else like watching a film in cinema oh definitely yeah i mean i i I do love streaming because it makes life easy but then i love the the journey of going out to a cinema and making an experience so yeah if if it comes to perth next year i'll be there for sure (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I I always love doing these interviews. I've done so many interviews for the Sydney Film Festival. And like the one that came to mind, I did an interview with Ben Lawrence about Ithaca. And that in itself is a really interesting interview. And especially, obviously, Assange is such a powerful figure in a tangential way to the investigation of what's going on. Uh, with surveillance around the world. And so watching this, I I went into it having that interview and that um, film in my mind and it just helped inform the layers of what we're dealing with. So, yeah, it's always nice to kind of step away from an interview like this and go, ah, 
yeah, I'm really privileged in what I get to do. <laughs> and I recognize that because I get to talk to people like you and learn and grow as a person. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you've taken something positive away from it. I'm really, that's, that's great. It's fantastic. That is director Yara Boo Milhem talking about her new documentary, Unseen Skies, which is screening and launching at the Sydney Film Festival tomorrow which is the 10th of November and there will be another screening at the end of the week on the 13th of November and the film will be available online to watch uh, via SFF On Demand on Friday the 12th of November. Head over to sff.org.au for more details. I will stick a link in the show notes. Hopefully you enjoyed this discussion and hopefully you seek out Unseen Skies. There is a lot to actually gain from this particular film about surveillance, about what is going on with data and interestingly about what is going on in the art world too. I think there is a real clash of what can actually occur here and what can be said in the art space about our current digital world and the the future that faces us with AI, with morphing technology, all of these changes, the, the, the amount of satellites that are in the sky. As the word I continually use in this particular interview and talking about Unseen Skies is it can be a little bit overwhelming, but I think that there is a digesting, digestible, what a word, way of breaking down this particular issue and this subject in this particular film in a relatable way. And I think that everybody should watch this. It's really powerful stuff. I, I think that Yara is going to be a really interesting documentarian going forward, and I can't wait to see where they go as a filmmaker. Hopefully you enjoyed this particular interview and hopefully you've enjoyed the interviews I've done in the past for the Sydney Film Festival. Uh, you can head over to thecurb.com.au to both read and listen to the interviews that I've done and to check out the interviews that Nisha Ann has done as well. Follow us on social media, The Curb, on both of uh, Facebook and on Twitter. <laughs> you know, not that I should be really uh, suggesting people head over to those uh, data harvesting platforms, but that's where you can find us if you want to follow us on social media and go the extra step as well. A dollar a month keeps us uh, safe and sound and uh, independent over on patreon.com forward slash the curb AU. All right, folks, that's enough from me. I hope you all stay safe and sound and I will see you on the next one. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.